How's this for a cat fight? Another one. I mean, this is a big one, I got to say, because this one involves some pretty big personalities and characters from the news world, from the movie world, from the streaming world, and from the political world. Hello. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Trish Regan, a live edition of the program. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. I see so many of you in the chat, so many familiar faces and names. Well, not your faces. I don't get to see you guys yet, but that day's coming. Trust me. Anyway, this is just hysterical. We are brought to you, as always, by LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560, 1-866-589-0560. If you're worried about inflation, if you're trying to diversify, one of the best ways to do that, it's been proven time and time again, is through investing in gold. And these guys can definitely help you out. First sponsor on the show, I should point out. So they ought to get extra credit for that, right? You're welcome to use my name, of course. Let them know. You know me. I know you. Um, and, and they'll take good care of you. I promise you that. And you let me know if they don't, okay? So LegacyPMInvestments.com. This is epic. I mean, it's like Tucker Carlson. He got out of Fox News and he got out of jail, like in a big way. He's over there interviewing Putin. Trust me, that would not have happened when he was at Fox. I, I mean, I know that. I know that. He actually has said that. He said that somehow somebody got wind that he was trying to interview Vladimir Putin back in 2021. And he accused the NSA of spying on him because somehow he said they knew they must have had access to my phone, to my email, etc. They knew that I wanted to do this interview. Somehow it had wound up, I guess, circulating perhaps back to the bosses who told him, no way, no how, it's not happening. Because no, 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 only Chris Wallace gets to do interviews like that. Remember? Yeah. Um, fussy little man. I'll, I'll, let, <laughs> I'll let Tucker say it. He had a, a, a couple of choice words for, for Chris Wallace. And look, you know, I'm not sitting here like any kind of huge Tucker fan. I agree with him so wholeheartedly on a lot of things. And I disagree vehemently on other things. But you got to appreciate that we're seeing a whole new side of him. I think you're seeing a whole new side of me, right? I mean, I don't have to deal with the teleprompter anymore. I don't have to deal with scripts. I don't have to send my scripts in and have management sign off and try and change three words right before airtime. That used to happen regularly. 7.55. We were live at 8. <laughs> Trust me, that was not fun. Anyway, so Tucker's like gallivanting all over the world and doing all these different interviews and he sat down with Russell Brand. This is brand new out today, and I want to share some of it with you because he gets pretty testy about a very prominent conservative streamer, right? I'll use that word, a YouTuber, I'll use that word, and well-known commentator, a guy by the name of Ben Shapiro. So Ben Shapiro, you probably know, is the founder of Daily Wire, and he's just exploded online. I mean, just it's just tremendous what he has built. He and Jeremy, by the way, Jeremy's his partner, brilliant, brilliant business guy, visionary, and they are just taking on the world. I mean, heck, they even have a whole venture capital arm where they're investing in entertainment. They've got a new Snow White coming out starring Brett Cooper, the former Disney actress, now turned YouTuber. So they are really visionary thinkers and well, you know, I don't know. Do, do men in this space get a little bit ornery? You know, here's Tucker coming in and he's trying to do this, that, and the other. And he can't help himself. He's taking a couple of digs at Ben Shapiro, who didn't appreciate it. Let's start first 
with Tucker, who is making some, you know, valid points, although Ben points out they're completely out of context. And he said it's not true, but more on that in a second. Let's listen. Here we are. Tucker Carlson on Russell Brand. I would say two things. First, we have a right to be mad, at least. And let me just again speak for Americans, middle aged Americans, uh, which is what I am. You know, I've got four draft age children. So if you're playing recklessly fast and loose with their lives, then I have a right to despise you. And I do. So if you're Nikki Haley, who's running for president or Ben Shapiro or half the people I see on television casually mentioning the possibility of nuclear war or sending Americans to fight in the Middle East or in any way involving us in a war that has nothing to do with prosperity and peace at home, nothing, in other words, to do with us Americans then I have a right to call you out and be really offended because it's my family. They live here. It's not a joke to me. It's, there's nothing abstract about it. And that is the difference between what's happening in the Middle East from what's happening in Ukraine, about which I had very strong feelings. But I didn't think there was a realistic possibility that my kids could be enmeshed in it. Now there is. So I think, you know, get some self-respect. I would say to my fellow Americans, get a clearer picture of what's important. Your children are important. Okay, that's number one, your children. And if they're threatening your children, I don't care what their justification is. They're your enemy. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Number one. Number two, in the United States, the right defends free speech. For most of my life, the left defended free speech in the United States. Till about 2014-15, Donald Trump, a lot of things happened. The parties inverted. The wings inverted. The left became avowed enemies of free speech. And it was really up to the right to defend the first, our First Amendment. The right to say what you think is true, not be a slave. Because, by the way, if you can't say what you think is true, you're not a you're not a citizen. You're not a human being. You're a slave. So the right has been the group defending that sacred, God-given right. With the rise of this war in the Middle East, you're watching people on the right say, well, actually, you know, hate, there's a difference between hate speech and free speech. Well, no, there's not, actually. You may hate certain sorts of speech. Certain kinds of speech may be immoral. According to me, I think certain kinds of speech are immoral. Um, but if you're suggesting they should be illegal, you can use the power of the state to make me be quiet and enslave me, then you are again my enemy. And you're seeing a lot of people on the right say that in the United States. And I'm absolutely shocked by it. I can't even believe what I'm watching. And I can't overstate my rage or my contempt for them. Because these are the people – and by the way, if they're not defending free speech in my country, no one is. And we're done. And we're going to have hate speech laws, which again are just laws of criminalizing speech that the people in charge hate, that they're threatened by. That's it. That's all they are. They're not on behalf of some oppressed group. Many of those groups are not actually oppressed, but it, leave that aside. Maybe they are oppressed, but it's not on their behalf that these laws will be passed. It's on behalf of the people in charge. And that's completely wrong. And you don't live in a free society. You don't live in a society of citizens and human beings. You live in a slave state when you have that. And, and the right, the people on the right who are calling for it should be deeply ashamed of themselves. So he had a lot to say there, a lot to say about our First Amendment and the reality that it's not flourishing the way it should in his view I mean, he certainly has, has lived through it at, at Fox News, I myself at Fox Business, and we see every day in this kind of cancel culture of America what's really going on. But the reason I wanted to play that for you was because what he was saying about Ben Shapiro, saying that he despises Ben Shapiro, despises Nikki Haley, and I know I'm having a little bit of fun with it. 
he's actually talking about something quite serious, right? And he's talking about the future direction of our country. I do believe he's quite a bit of an isolationist, more than more than Donald Trump ever really was or is. I, I think that Donald Trump prefers not to be involved in conflicts, but heck almighty, you know what? If you're going to be, you're going to win and you're going to win big. Tucker Carlson, on the other hand, is much more of the view that unless it's really definitively going to help us, he doesn't want to be there. So perhaps more in that Rand Paul school of thought that we just need to kind of stick to ourselves and what we do and, and maybe just be Switzerland. And um, he, he's articulating that in part as a father, right? Because we all, those of us that have kids or if you have grandkids or you're thinking of having kids one day, listen, I mean, these are very serious issues because are you willing to sacrifice your, your child to, to go to war? And I think, you know, pretty much any American you ask is going to say no. It's one of the reasons why they're having so much trouble recruiting at the military these days. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But it, it's, it, it's essential that we understand why we're getting involved in these conflicts. And so he went so directly for Ben Shapiro, which again, I just find a, a little bit intriguing. I, I think that Tucker and Ben actually see more eye to eye than either one of them might realize. But nonetheless, it's setting the stage for what I think would be a pretty epic debate. I mean, I'd like to see those guys together. Do you know I once had Paul versus Paul? It was Ron Paul versus Paul Krugman at Bloomberg Television. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, well, I booked them both on the same day. We got Ron Paul. And Paul Krugman, it was fantastic. I was, I was bringing some life and some spice to business television. There you go. Anyway, let's take a look at what Ben Shapiro had to say to Tucker, and he's inviting him back on the show. So I think this is going to be great. I think he should absolutely go. I think they turn it into an event, and they charge for seats, right? Tucker is simply lying about my positions. I've been calling for a negotiated end to the Ukraine war, freezing the lines of conflict since early on in the war. I have never called for American boots on the ground in Ukraine, ever. I have never called for American boots to defend Israel, ever. I've invited Tucker to sit down multiple times over the past few weeks to clear the air and discuss our differences. He said he's willing, but his team has told us that he's busy for months because of his foreign travel. That offer remains open. Woof. Like I said, this will be a very interesting, fascinating conversation. I suspect they'll actually find that they agree more than they disagree on this one. Now, somebody that Tucker Carlson definitely wouldn't agree with, I don't think ever really agreed with, well, that would be his former colleague over at Fox News, none other than Mr. Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace, who seemed really perturbed, right? I've played you guys this clip, but we got to watch it again because boy, oh boy, oh boy, was he mad. Tucker Carlson got that Putin interview. Putin interview and not him. Let's take a quick peek at Chris Wallace's reaction. He went, does he have a show anymore, guys? Like, do you know, does he have a show? Like some, I guess it's a Sunday show or is it a, I have no idea how to watch him anywhere. I don't think it's like here on YouTube. I saw this clip somewhere, maybe on Twitter. That's how I'm bringing it to you. But let's let's take a peek. Maybe he was standing in for somebody. Maybe he finally got a show on CNN. I don't know. But he's spouting his mouth off. Watch. Tucker Carlson showed up in Moscow this week to interview Vladimir Putin. It turned out to be anything but an interview. Putin droned on for two hours and seven minutes while Tucker sat there like an eager puppy. 
occasionally, yeah. but rarely, he got in a question like this one about the power of the deep state in Washington. It sounds like you're describing a system that's not run by the people who are elected in your telling. That's right. That's right. But more telling than what Tucker asked is what he didn't ask. Nothing about why Putin invaded a sovereign country. Nothing about targeting civilians. Nothing about Russian war crimes. A reporter can ask Putin a tough question if he wants a real interview. No. And here's... Why is it that so many of the people that oppose Vladimir Putin (laughs) end up dead? I mean, that is a real question. (laughs) I'll give him But apparently, that's not why Tucker went to Moscow. During the Cold War, gullible Westerners who spread Soviet propaganda were dismissed as useful idiots. But calling Tucker that is unfair to useful idiots. You know, I have a special show on Friday. Make sure that you sign up, you subscribe, you hit the bell, you make sure you get the alert, because on Friday I am doing a deep dive. You know, I've, I've warned you guys, I get really into history. I'm a former historian. That was my sort of academic training, early American. Um, but I, I looked at it all. I mean, World War One, World War Two. you know, <laughs> big stuff. And um, European history and, and Western history primarily. And I'm sitting there going, wait a second, like, I mean, Putin made some very interesting points. So I went back and I did all this research and I'm still doing research and I brought some of it to you in bits and spades, but the whole thing is coming in one big shebang on Friday. And we're going to go back and we're going to look at original documents. We're going to look at what the people that were involved in the original negotiations, all the chatter about NATO and whether it should expand or not, what was really happening in real time, because they're totally gaslighting us. They're sitting there saying, oh, you know what? NATO was never, ever ever uh, not going to expand. We were always intending to do this. You do a a search online and sure enough, that's what you find out. I'm like, wait a second, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure. Well, never doubt yourself, never doubt yourself. Because when you go back and you read the primary source materials, you find that Cheney, you find that Clinton, some really interesting characters in there had a big hand with us encouraging NATO to expand, 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 and encroach on Russia, despite the fact that people that had originally negotiated the deal were like, don't do this. Russia's going to be really mad, and you're going to find yourselves right back where we started. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, the wall came down in what, 1989? I remember. Those were good years. My hair was a little big, and I had a little too much fluorescence on. You know, I, I was a... In early in high school, what can I say? Anyway, 1989, wall comes down. They don't know what to do with themselves. And by 1992, Dick Cheney had a plan. And well, the rest is history, ladies and gentlemen. The rest is history. So tune in to the special edition of Friday's show right here on the Trish Regan channel. We're going to get into it in depths you've never, never quite seen before, which means we're going back to primary sources. Anyway, so, you know, obviously... Chris Wallace has a problem with Tucker. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. But I think the feeling is pretty mutual. Here's an excerpt from an interview that Donald Trump did with Tucker Carlson. Chris Wallace's name comes up, and uh, Tucker let a few things kind of just slide out. We had to bleep some stuff. <laughs> what? When I debated him... 
I said, how come, and this was in front of, probably not a friend of yours, Chris Wallace, he was the moderator. Not a friend. I said, why did, why is it, he wants to be Mike, but he doesn't have the talent. It's one so of the little man. He wanted to be his father, but he didn't have the talent of his, his father was great. His father. A little fussy man. His father interviewed me in 60 minutes. <laughs> All right. You know what? I don't know Chris Wallace that well. I think I shared a, you know, like a working trailer when we were on assignment once I was out in Simi Valley um, for, for something connected with the Reagan Center there, Reagan Library. I was also working with him. Let me think. Oh, once on an airplane. I remember they had like a, a private plane, but not like a private elegant jet, jet or anything. We must have been going from one of the Republican debates that I had moderated. So they were transporting a bunch of us reporters and producers in this giant plane, like 200 of us. So that's why I'm like, I don't get any ideas. It wasn't like a posh private plane, I wish. And so we're all in this plane. <laughs> Chris gets really mad because one of my producers was playing some sound bites on his laptop computer sound bites. And he was listening to an interview and playing it and trying to cut it. And he just got so mad. And he really snapped at him. And I was like, oh, wow, wow. Um, and then, you know, there was that time at the Reagan Center. Again, like he just, he was really, he was very on edge a lot. I think he had a lot of pressure on him. But I always forgave him because I once was covering the State of the Union and I had brought one of my children with me. And she was in the tent in D.C. And I thought, oh, this is going to go so badly because this is Chris Wallace. And clearly, you know, my producer's playing a soundbite. You know, producers are running in and out of the, the trailer at the Reagan Library, and he's not happy. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is not, not going to go well. Oh, honey, please be on your best behavior. And I will say this to him. He was wonderful, and he was really great, and he, he, he was very sweet to her. He's like, hey, do you like candy? And, like, showed her the whole buffet, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, who is this guy? So I can't totally. I mean, look, he's got his shtick. Tucker has his. And they are very clearly wedded in these very different camps. One is very formal, by the book. I'm a journalist with a capital J, and I'm so proud of it. And Tucker's like this scrappy little upstart who's willing to ask questions that, you know, people don't always seem to want to ask. So they both serve their purpose in this world, shall we say. And they both hate each other. <laughs> you know, Trump hates them too. You know, like I think that... Tucker and Trump have a little bit more in common. So we, I, I still don't see him as the VP. We're going to talk about VP coming up. So send in your ideas. I have new intel I got to share with you. Brand new intel, fresh, that I've got to share with you because I think it's really going to make you think and it's going to put a new name in play. But before we get to that, hey, check out Donald Trump dealing with Joe Biden and Chris Wallace. Remember this infamous moment at the debate in 2020? I love this. Let's watch the full It's an open discussion, please. No, you, you, it's a I, fact. Well, there's, you there's have raised an issue. Let the been totally vice president answer. Discredited. Did there was a report. There was a month when, when with no they, experience in energy. Mr. Look, president, no my son did nothing wrong at Burisma. I think he did. Mr. President, guy that let him answer. He doesn't want to let me answer because he knows I have the truth. His, his position has been totally, thoroughly discredited. By who? And the media. By everybody. Well, by the, by media, the media, by our allies, by the World Bank. By 
Oh, it was great. I don't think we had the whole one there. I, we're going to have to go back. Drew and I are going to get the whole thing and play it for you because I'm telling you, Chris was just, you know, it was just getting out of hand. He's like, let him answer, let him answer. And there was this idea that somehow it was misinformation and disinformation at the time to be asking anything about the Hunter Biden laptop, to be talking anything about the, what it turned out to be, guys, like some $80,000, $83,000 a month that he was getting paid from Burisma. I mean, that's an insane amount of money. Then we had the testimony that came out yesterday from Tony Bobolinsky, along with testimony that was released by the House Oversight Committee from Rob Walker. I mean, this is painting a very scary picture, a picture which these guys claim they have evidence that Joe Biden was somehow in on this as well. And if that's the case, I mean, I'm sorry, like, it's game over. And that means Kamala is going to be running against Donald Trump for 2024, because I don't see how else they're going to, I mean, you can't just have somebody materialize out of thin air, you get deadlines, etc. This is really and truly a mess of epic proportions, just epic, epic proportions. And I'll say, you know what, they've done us no service here in this country. I mean, you look at our economy right now, you look at the print on G, not the GDP print, but the, um, the consumer CPI print that just came out this week. I mean, my gosh, prices, they just keep going up, up and away, 3.1%. They were supposed to be like 2.9, so common and two tenths of a percent hotter than anybody thought it was going to be. And this is not good. Like, you know, people are saying, oh, you can't blame the president for that. Well, you know what? I'm going to blame someone. And yes, I'm blaming the Fed too. Jay's not getting away with anything, okay? Jay Powell, you made huge mistakes. But Joe Biden, you also made huge mistakes. And Congress, you made huge mistakes as well. And so now we got all this money in the system. We continue to have inflation. We continue to have economic problems. Nobody can buy eggs in my corner of the world for less than $7.99 a dozen. And you've got got issues from which it's going to be really hard to recover from, unless you get the right people in charge, right? And this is why policy matters. I, I, I thought the Trump economic team. I'm just going to tell you, I mean, one of the guys was my former co-host for five years at CNBC. So I happen to know he's a really smart guy when it comes to the economy. That would be Larry Kudlow. So he was there as an economic advisor. You had Steve Moore, another phenomenal economist. He comes on the show a lot. We love him, Steve Moore. These are great guys and they understand tax policy. Art Laffer, right? I mean, he's the, he's the godfather of this stuff. He's the one that drew the Laffer curve on the napkin for Ronald Reagan, explaining You keep taxing people, you're going to have problems. Well, all of these guys get it, just like my friends over at Job Creators Network. They get it. They get it at Job Creators Network. I mean, Alfredo Ortiz, he's been on the program too. They they understand what you need to grow the economy, to grow jobs, to grow businesses. And this is why I love them, because I just need more of this, right? I need more of this in our country. You need more of it. It's great for small business owners, of which I am one now, very proudly, very happily, because nobody owns me or my show or my content. It's all just me, me and you. And I encourage you to go check them out. Join JCN, Job Creators Network. Join JCN. Look at the policies they're putting in place. They're out there in every corner of the country with people that are there to help you. So we need these resources as conservatives, as business owners, and this is one terrific, terrific one. Um, Did you see Nikki Haley? She had a little appearance on the Today Show. 
recently. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But before I do, I mean, she's going into a big, big uh, disaster. This is like a tornado that's about to hit the Nikki Haley campaign this weekend. Well, maybe not this weekend. She's got a few more days, shall we say. A few more days until South Carolina. A few more days to bow out or just keep on sinking. It's not looking pretty for Ms. Haley. Take a look. This is the latest poll. Just came out. South Carolina GOP primary, Nikki Haley, 30%. Donald Trump, 65%. So this is going to be an epic disaster. Humiliating disaster. And I guess she's just going to tell us what? Oh, it, it was all a, I don't, I don't even know if I can say this, right? Because you're not supposed to use these words in conjunction with talking about elections in polite company anymore. And yet Nikki Haley, oh, she, she just spits them right on out. Listen. Does that situation in Nevada hurt a little bit? No. I mean, Nevada, it's such a scam. They were supposed to have a primary. Trump rigged it so that the GOP chairman, who's been indicted, would go and create a caucus. We knew months ago that we weren't going to spend a day or a dollar in Nevada because it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't and, you know, even she count She says Nevada. she cares about anything. everybody and every vote counts, but she's not spending a day or a dollar in Nevada because it's not worth it. No, she's hightailing it to South Carolina where she's going to lose in a huge way. And she's probably going to have a a mouthful to tell us just exactly why she did lose. Here's my question. Why is she still there? I mean, she was out on TV this morning slamming Biden and slamming Trump. Take a look at her with the, the, the Today Show anchor just going after Donald Trump. It has been almost a year to the day since Nikki Haley launched her campaign in Charleston. We were her first interview after she joined a a then crowded field of candidates. Now, well, now she's the last person standing to try and unseat frontrunner Donald Trump. For the first time earlier this week, she said Trump is not qualified to be president again. I asked her what changed after supporting him for years and why she's staying in the race. The former president, uh, yesterday endorsed a group of loyalists, including his daughter-in-law, to run the RNC now. Um, The idea uh, reportedly to bring the campaign closer to the party. What do you make of that? He's just trying to control as much as he can control. But we don't want a king in America. That's the problem. They, um, They heard your criticism earlier and they responded. Trump campaign spokesman I said, quote, Nikki brain dead, bird brain Haley reeks of desperation as it's clear. She knows she has no shot and is now auditioning for a cable news contract when her 15 minutes are over. It's a weak response. You know we're under the skin because you saw what he did at the rally on Saturday. Over the weekend, Donald Trump questioned the whereabouts of Nikki Haley's husband, who's serving a year-long deployment in Africa for the South Carolina Army National Guard. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. What happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. You know, to mock my husband, Michael and I can handle that. But you mock one member of the military, you mock all members of the military. But the reality is he's talked about the military for years now in in disparaging ways. Suckers, losers, John McCain, gold star families. What's different now? What's different this time? Before, when he did it, it was during the 2016 election. Everybody thought, oh, did he have a slip? What, what did that mean? The problem now is he is not the same person he was in 2016. 
He is unhinged. He is more diminished than he than he was. You endorsed him when he ran again. You were a vocal supporter. You were out on the campaign trail. I'm the first one to say I voted for him twice. I was proud to serve America in his administration. But you can go back and look in my book. I cite multiple times, and he knows it, when I called him out for things that he was doing that were wrong. Since I got out of the administration, I have called him out multiple times, which is why he's upset because he thinks I'm disloyal. I'm not loyal to anyone. I don't do that. What I do is I call it out. If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm going to call it out every time. After the most recent attack on, on your, your husband and other military families, you said, quote, he's no longer qualified to be president. How do you square that? with raising your hand on that debate stage, saying you would support him even if he were a convicted criminal. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. I have said any of those 14 would be better than Joe Biden because everybody sees how diminished Joe Biden is. I will also tell you there is no way that the American people are going to vote for a convicted criminal. They're not. But you said you would. They're not. But you said you would. No, that is not the question. Every Republican nominee signed a pledge before they could even get on the debate stage that said if that we were not the nominee, would we support the nominee? And I said yes, and I stand by that, that I would support the Republican nominee. But you said he's no longer right, qualified to, go, Craig. to be president. Good interview, buddy. I mean, he's got her, right? And this is what I've said all along. Like, see, let, let's hypothesize for a moment and think of the unthinkable. Nikki Haley, it's not going to happen, but suppose Nikki Haley were suddenly top of the Republican ticket. I mean, how on earth does she run? Because she's worked for Trump. She was in the Trump administration. She was the NATO ambassador under Donald Trump. She stood on that stage. She said she would vote for him. I mean, how does she undo all this, especially when she's out? The, but she, she's damned if she does. She damned if she doesn't, right? Like, it's like the, the Ron DeSantis thing. He's trying to run to the right of Trump and criticize Trump that way. She's trying to run to the left of Trump and criticize Trump that way, but you can't have your cake and eat it too, not in this political environment. And so she's sort of DOA because the media is going to go after her heart. I mean, look at what they did. They, you know, she, she didn't fully understand the, the origins of the Civil War, et cetera. Remember that whole thing? I mean, look, there were a, we know the main reason. The main reason is really, really obvious. And somehow, I don't know, she got distracted and was thinking about economic reasons that contributed to it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wasn't there, and I'm not inside her head. <laughs> you can understand why, you know, the, the nickname kind of has some legs. But she has said some stupid stuff all along. I mean, I've watched a bunch. I've played some of these clips for you guys. She was talking about taking in refugees from Gaza. I'm like, whoa, really? Like, when we're having the border crisis, we're having... I mean, she's really kind of tried to play both sides for too long. And this is a great example of it. And so kudos to the NBC reporter for, for catching her in that. Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. And certainly not in this particular moment in time 
in the political environment in which we live. So I keep saying, like, why is she there? Why is she there? Why is she there? Well, does it have anything to do with us not having a really strong RNC? I say this as a conservative, right? Because if you want a conservative elected in 2024 and you want better economic policy and you want more freedom on taxation, you're going to want a conservative in the slot. Trust me on this. So then the question becomes, do we really have the right leadership? I mean, I think we could all agree that Rana... <laughs> you guys, you know this, right? Like it's like a, it's a slip. It keeps happening. I keep wanting to say Ronald McDonald. Ronna McDaniel was um, not exactly up to the task. And I don't know why that is. Maybe she was just too concerned with her audience of one, which would be Donald Trump, and she needed to play to him at all times. And here's the thing. If you're a party, you need to be able to service the party. Look at what just went down in New York last night. I mean, George Santos' seat, not going to the Republican who was literally amazing on paper. This woman was born in Egypt, raised in Israel. So she was Jewish. She was Israeli. She was Egyptian. And by the way, she fought in the IDF. Like, like I was like, and she was attractive and had, you know, a beautiful family. And I'm like, really? Like, did someone just pluck her out of some kind of catalog for perfect candidate. And yet they couldn't get Santos's seat with her. The Democrats now have it. That tells me you have a party that wasn't backing her, that didn't have the right operational strength. You know, granted, Donald Trump is saying, well, she didn't back me. And that's why she didn't win. Possibly, right? Because you have this rift in the party. I'm not going to disagree with that. But I do think that you got to somehow get a handle on things. You got to have a party where somebody's in charge. And Ronald McDonald was not in there we go. McDaniel was not in charge, not in charge in the way that you need to be. So they are going to bring in new people. They're talking about this Watley guy. That is who Donald Trump has nominated from North Carolina. I don't know him really at all. I imagine he's being brought in because he's being seen as strong on the organizational front and you need that. And hopefully strong on the visionary front. You certainly need that. I mean, Trump has a ton of vision, but then who's there to help see that vision through. That's the real question. That's the missing link right now. So Lara Trump is being recommended as the co-chair. Now, this is smart only in that Lara, very smart, wonderful person, really wonderful person. I mean, I all, you know, I got to say like all of these kids, she's not his daughter, but she's his daughter-in-law. She's a wonderful husband. They are just wonderful, very polite, very gracious people. I, I can say that all my interactions with her have been truly, truly stellar. So she's great on television and she will do all the television that you need. She's a great communicator. So she's a wonderful person to have out there as co-chair who's really kind of carrying the message forward. But who's coming up with the message? And, and it makes Donald Trump feel better because she's a family member. I get it. And she's loyal to him. But who's coming up with the message? I'm just going to float this one out there, okay, guys? You know Bannon, right? Steve Bannon? I'm just going to tell you, he is a brilliant man. Brilliant. He gets what resonates in America. He passionately 
defends this country, loves this country, and has the the chops, right, to sort of back. I mean, he's got a tremendous background. He was in the military. He went to Harvard and was at Goldman Sachs. Um, I was at Goldman Sachs, too, one day. But he was there in a much more significant capacity because he was a managing director at Goldman. Look, the guy is really smart. He's super hardworking. And he is a visionary. He sees things and anticipates things. And you need that, right? Because the Republicans need some ground game. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this is an election year. We got a big thing going down. And if the Democrats are going to aggressively get out their grassroots effort and go door to door and register people and get their absentee ballots, well, Republicans can do that too. I mean, don't take your ball and go home. Figure it out and play the game better because I do believe we are more talented. We just need the right leadership in place. Now, I'm sure, Steve, we got to get him on the show. I'm sure he would say, no way. There's no way I'm going to do that. And he's very productive where he is with his podcast, War Room, um, which is a great show. And it's, it's probably not worth it for him to do it at this particular moment in time. But I do think that someone like that, right, a visionary is needed for the party because it's one thing to have your primetime show, which is Donald Trump, but then... What about your morning show? What about your mid-afternoon show? What about your overnight? I'm thinking like a programmer, okay? Like if I've got a 24-hour news network and I got to make sure that I've got programming in every slot that's going to beat every other network, this is, this is my background, what do I do? I make sure that we have a cohesive message with different kinds of personalities and anchors, but you know what? It all comes through. And so that is the management and leadership of the organization. So the RNC is desperately in need of that. I don't know the gentleman from North Carolina, maybe that's what he's going to be, but what comes to my mind? Someone like Bannon, really. I mean, someone like Bannon and definitely someone like Lara is, is phenomenal and she can get that message across. But you also need somebody, not just who's coming up with the big ideas and Trump can do a lot of that, but then the follow through. Who's saying, okay, did we do this? Did we do that? Did we do this? Did we do that? I mean, sometimes it can be kind of a painful job in that respect, but they need someone and they need someone badly. Lara does say, you know what? She's all about getting him elected. Let's hear a clip from her. Here she is on Newsmax just last night talking with Eric over there. Uh, Rob, forgive me, Rob Schmidt, about how she would, how she would be as the co-head of the RNC. So let's let's talk about the RNC. Um, your, your father-in-law has endorsed you to be a co-chair of, of uh, the committee. Um, we, we have big problems with fundraising, big problems with, I think, adapting to um, how I think the other side, you know, is intentionally now making elections less secure for their own benefit. But the problem is, is that if, if you don't join them in, in, in this sham they're trying to, to pull on us, we can't win. So, I, you know, I, I talk about what needs to change at the committee to make this party more competitive, because I think after 2022 with those midterms, when that went the way it did, as hated as Joe Biden was, I think we all realize we have a huge problem in the party. What needs to change? And, and, and if you get the job, what can you do? Yeah, well, listen, we need to be playing chess and not checkers, and, and that's exactly what we've been doing, unfortunately. And as you just pointed out, the Democrats have been playing a completely different game. We need to catch up, and we need to outdo them 
at that game. We better have at the Republican National Committee a ground game operation the likes of which this country has never seen. We better be doing voter registration in record numbers. We also better be doing legal ballot harvesting all across this country because those are things the Democrats always outdo us on. And let's face it, Rob, we better start telling people to go vote early. We have this notion that it would be nice if we had one day of voting. I would love that. You yeah. would probably love that. We'd love to give people the day off of work, and we'd love to have paper ballots. We don't have it right now. So we need to bank enough votes going game. into Election Day that we aren't trying to play catch-up that day. We know things happen. Look at what happened in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Here's what I can tell you. The RNC needs to be the leanest, most lethal political fighting machine we've ever seen in American history. That is the goal over the next nine and a half months. If I am elected to this position, I can assure you there will not be any more $70,000 or whatever exorbitant amount of money it was spent mm. on flowers. Wow. Every single penny will go to the number one and the only job of the RNC. That is electing Donald J. Trump as president of the United States and saving this country. We have no time to waste. We've got to yeah. get to work. We've got a lot of money to raise. And we need to ensure that every penny goes to those things that I just mentioned. Otherwise, you you're right, in perpetuity, the Democrats are going to beat us. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. She just, she just laid it out. I mean, I'm sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She's absolutely right. That business about ground game, I'm sorry. I know everybody, like, is, oh, you know, it's not fair. It's not. And no, it's not. And by the way, I'm astonished that we don't, I mean, we, you know, you have all these ridiculous holidays, but you're not going to give people the day off from work to go and vote. If people have jobs, I mean, how, how there's a lot of families that can't actually get to the polls like that. So that is actually, frankly, disgusting with all the holidays that we get. We don't give people the day off. You should be able to. And, you know, I'd love it if you could get like a receipt or something on your belt. We all want this. But the point is, there's a big distance between wanting it and actually having that happen. You're not going to take your bonga home. You're not going to say, okay, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't think blah, blah. I don't even want to say that stuff because then we're full on Venezuela. That's what happens literally in Venezuela. I know this firsthand. Nobody thinks their vote matters. Then they, they have all this infighting among the opposition. And the next thing you know, Maduro's like, ha ha, ka-ching. I just won another, another election. So we can't be that way. We have to actually play the game that's in front of us and recognize where we want to go while still winning as we get there. So Lara, hats off to you. Smart commentary. I just think that you're, you're going to need someone like Lara really delivering the message because she does it so phenomenally well, but she's only one person. So you need another person that's thinking big, 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 big picture. And you need somebody who's really obsessed with details and has that ground game. I mean, there's a lot of jobs. I guess whoever goes in can, can hire all their people, but we have work to do, ladies and gentlemen. We have work to do, which is why I want to encourage another organization for you guys to look at, because this is an organization that is working around the clock to try and make sure that we do have the right policy so that you're not paying through the nose at the gas pumps every single week. I mean, it, it's crazy because all of this stuff is actually with the right policies, pretty darn avoidable. You know, if you were just willing to drill here in the United States of America, where we have plenty of energy and natural gas, you wouldn't have the problems that you're having with inflation. We saw the CPI number out again just this week. All of this goes back to 
poor policy choices. This is why I like so much Americans for Prosperity, AFP, americansforprosperity.org. You see it right there on the screen if you're watching the live video feed, americansforprosperity.org. Go over there, check check them out, sign up, and learn about what they're doing because they are aggressively fighting a good fight trying to make sure that we have the most opportunity for progress, for prosperity, literally, so that we all have real chances and our families have chances in this country. Right now, the current leadership is not delivering on any of that, any of that. But how can they? I mean, for goodness sakes, we've got a president who's 81 years old and doesn't have his faculties. You look at poor Joe Biden, every single time he speaks, I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart's in my throat and I mean, I, I'm not going to play this because I'm too patriotic and too rah-rah America to show you those times when he was fallen going up the stairs of Air Force One or when he fell at the Air Force Academy. But this is a man who really strikes me as not well. He's not well, and yet he's refusing to take any kind of neurological exam to refute that. I mean, why not take it? Then you know, right? Because he's hanging on. He's hanging on for dear life. And so now the Democrats are like, well, what do we do? I mean, this report was a disaster. He knowingly hid documents in his garage next to his Corvette. He knew they were there. He was asked about it by the attorney, Robert Hur, And Robert Hur came to the conclusion that, you know what, the guy was just so old and feeble and couldn't remember anything that he would present really poorly to a jury. They wouldn't be able to get a conviction, and so why bother moving forward? And he put all this in a report. And so now everybody's freaking out. There's a lady over on MSNBC who's like, oh, you know, well, Rob Herr, he's not a a doctor. He's not a neurologist. How can he say this? Watch her. Um, So I think that's a really interesting point that I hadn't heard, and I do agree that it is important to, like, norms are important, right? The reason we're so far along here is because norms have not been followed. I would say I don't think that her is a good faith actor, and I think that 345 pages of that show that. I mean, he's not a neurologist, right? If you want to weigh in on legal things, that's fine. But, you know, the idea, and again, to fault someone for saying they don't remember during a deposition when we've seen people like Dr. Anthony Fauci say that hundreds of times during a deposition, that's what you're supposed to say if you don't remember because you don't want to be wrong. And so I do think he sort of picked up things that are tactically tactics that people use and went and sort of was drew uh, conclusions that were not his conclusions to draw. Okay, so uh, fine, except that He's a lawyer who's thinking, am I actually going to be able to get this case to the finish line? And when he makes a decision, he's not going to be able to get to to the finish line. He has to explain why that is. And so he has to tell people why it is. And why is it? Well, he doesn't think he's got a very good guy to put on the witness stand there because nobody's actually going to convict him of anything because he's going to seem so sympathetic because he's so old and he seems like he's not really with it and he can't remember key things. And so now they're circling the wagons. I mean, they have no choice. The Democrats are like, oh, how dare you bring this up? How dare you insult his neurological capability? I mean, he's totally with it. He's got all his faculties with it, right? I mean, that's why he made the crazy decision to come out and sound like an angry old man the other night. As soon as this report came out, by the way, 
they are charging Donald Trump for it. <laughs> the same thing. Because even though he's 77, apparently he's with it enough that they can go after him. They just can't go after Joe. <laughs> Interesting, shall we say. Let's watch Mr. Biden, the president of the United States, get a little testy with reporters after this report was released. Questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. Mr. President. Mr. President. And then we learned from KJP Corinne Jean Pierre that that was all his idea. He's the one who wanted to go out and do that. They couldn't hold him back. No way. Know how. She also was quoted today, just moments ago, speaking in the press conference. I want to bring this to you, emphasizing how loud and clear his message is. I'll say this more broadly. The president has restored, has restored uh, our alliances and made stronger uh, in the world because of what this president has been able to do. And every, you know, he knows every commander in chief's first job, right? Their first job is to make sure that the American people are safe. That is what the president understands. And so NATO is now, because of his leadership, it's now larger, as you know, uh, and it's also the most vital that it's been because of what this president has been able to do. And I think this president's uh, leadership speaks, speaks fully and speaks really loudly uh, with our closest allies. So he's in charge. He's got all his faculties about him, and we have nothing to worry about because his most important focus is the safety of the United States. Could have fooled me. Could have fooled me. I mean, he's the one with the vacancy sign wide up. Hey, you know what? As soon as he came into office, we're here, we're ready. Come one, come all. That hasn't worked out so well. He's the one who chose to immediately withdraw from Afghanistan, which led to a whole host of problems, just like John McCain, by the way forecasted it would. He told us this some 10 years ago. He said, Antony Blinken, who's now Biden's Secretary of State, is such a disaster. He will cost American lives because he will try to get out of Afghanistan too quickly, which is in fact exactly what happened. And then the repercussions of that we are living through in a really enormous way. Really enormous way. So I know we didn't want to stay over there in Afghanistan forever, but sometimes you need to have a small presence, something there on the ground just to kind of keep the peace, so to speak. You know, that, that kind of stuff does matter. So he, he can't run. I mean, I just don't know how he runs. But here's the deal. Every single poll shows that Donald Trump is way out in front. So then the question becomes, who do you get as the VP? We're going to talk about that. Let me know, by the way, in your comments here, because I, I have some new intel that I want to bring to you. I was talking with some... Some people in the know, shall we say, just yesterday afternoon, and I want to share some of that conversation with you. But before I do, 
let me know who you're thinking. And it doesn't have to be just a woman. That's what I actually want to talk about because I know we've all been sort of, and I've been one of them, right? We've been talking about this idea of a woman and a woman only, but maybe we should be more expansive. So let's think about that for a second. And as we think about that, you know, look, I mean, all of these different characters that are, I say characters, all these people, these wonderful people that are in line for potentially becoming vice president of the United States. So many of them have wonderful stories, right? Really, really great stories themselves. And they have often overcome tremendous odds to get to where they are. I think so many of us in America, we all have, we've all had our struggles. We've all had our fights and we, we emerge, we emerge. Okay. And we want that to keep going. I think one of the ways you keep it going is by passing these traditions down. When I was a little kid, we used to love hearing from my dad and all my uncles and aunts, what we call the poor stories, because I mean, they grew up really, really poor, like not enough money for shoes. And so they went barefoot all summer. My, my father could never understand why we kids didn't want to just go barefoot. Right? <laughs> like, it was a whole, whole different thing. And I loved hearing those because they were the down on your luck, scrappy stories about a bunch of scrappy Irish kids, right? Who through the luck of neighbors and parents that cared deeply about them and were there together, stayed together with eight kids and the church. I mean, all this, they, they all went on to do really tremendous things and become very successful in their own rights. And so I am the byproduct of that, right? Like I, I'm the next generation. And so I look at my kids and you always hope for more. Well, this is a show, not my show, this show I'm about to tell you about that really, really helps you to take time out to appreciate that stuff. My friend Lee Habib, he was actually on the show just a couple of weeks ago. So you, we might've gotten a chance to see him. He's got this tremendous podcast, just tremendous. And the storytelling is so rich. It's so lovely. It's beautiful. It's actually audio only, which is nice. Like I'm going up to Vermont skiing over the holiday weekend, and we're going to be playing this in the car because I like my children to hear it. There's so many tremendous stories about tremendous Americans, and it brings you really, I think, close with who we are as a country. And I find that inspiring. So I love this. And I just wanted to tell you guys about it. Our American Stories with Lee Habib. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. So go over and make sure you download the Trish Regan Show, right? If you haven't, please do that. Please, it actually, it actually really helps me. Like It's all free. And you know what? If you just download it and you say you want to get every single episode delivered to your phone, it's great. It's really, really great. And while you're there, do make sure that you get leads. Our American Stories, it's called. I'm telling you, you're really going to enjoy it. And when you have time, and even if you don't have time, because some of them are short episodes, they might be eight minutes, some are 19 minutes, but you can kind of take your pick and you learn so much. And it just kind of brings out the historian in me, shall I say. Again, you know what? This is a great country and we got to keep it great. And part of keeping it great is making sure that we tell these stories and we tell our past so that we can understand our present and our future. Okay, do I have any names, any names? I mean, I, I'm wondering if we should maybe rethink the woman thing, although, you know, this, this is an up-and-comer, Elise Stefanik. I know some of you guys like her. She was just 
H-E-L-L on wheels, was she not, when she took down the Harvard president and the MIT and the U Penn. I think the MIT lady is the only one who still has a job. I'm talking about Elise Stefanik from New York. Could she possibly be the vice president? Here she is today. I want you guys to see her coming out swinging against the president. Good morning. First, House Republicans are so excited to welcome back our majority leader, the legend from Louisiana, Steve Scalise. Welcome back, Steve. We're so excited to have you back. Before we talk about the week ahead, I want to touch on the bombshell report last week from the special counsel confirming that President Biden retained and mishandled classified documents for years in unsecure location. Special counsel Hur's decision to not prosecute Biden because of his deteriorating mental state further demonstrates the un-American two-tier justice system that exists in Joe Biden's America. There cannot be one set of rules if your last name is Biden and another set of rules for the rest of America. And the American people know that if someone is mentally unfit to stand trial, they are unfit to serve as commander-in-chief. Turning to our agenda of this week, House Republicans will continue to deliver on our promises. Yesterday, after a year-long investigation led by the House Homeland Security Committee under the leadership of Chairman Mark Green, we executed our constitutional duty impeaching Secretary Mayorkas for violating his oath to support and defend the Constitution, subvert the rule of law, and breach the American public's trust. Impeachment is just one step. The Senate must pass House Republicans Secure the Border Act, the strongest border security bill in history, to stop the invasion so, at our borders, Stephanics, which we are seeing under Joe. President of the United States, but she also gives herself, uh, her fellow Republicans, a pat on the back for the impeachment of Mr. Mayorkas. You may have seen me. I know I saw some of you guys here. Leslie, I saw you. I think, David, David, you were here as well last night when we got that news. I was like, oh, I, I got to get I got to back, get back up and talk to you all because we got the news crossing last night that Mayorkas was out. Finally, finally. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, you shouldn't take these things on if you can't see them through, regardless of whether you think, oh, it was just a charade. It's just theater. Oh, you know, they need to do something. The point was Mike Johnson said he was going to do it and then he kind of needs to do it. And they couldn't get it done the first time around. They did, in fact, get this through last night. So it was kind of a big deal. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we're talking about here is who exactly would be the vice president that would help Donald Trump get to the finish line with a big wind at his back, right? Like you want the, you want the push at the final, at the, at the end, right? So you, you need to be thoughtful about organization, which is what Lara Trump was just talking about. You need to actually have a ground game. You need to make sure everybody's registered. You need to make sure that they, they vote early. You know, what is the expression? We vote early and often in Chicago. <laughs> not, not that. I mean, everything has to be legal and on the up and up. But you know what? If they can get absentee ballots in, then hey, you know what? We can do that too. And, and so you work hard to make sure that people are getting their absentee ballots in. You make sure you get the ground game. And then you make sure that you, you sew up whatever you can in the middle. So Donald Trump's challenge, every time you look at these polls, is that he's suffering with people that are kind of in the middle. Not entirely. In fact, there was a New York Times study that just came out yesterday, like a focus group. And what was amazing is 12 out of the 13 independents that they were talking to were all going for Trump because they're so sick of everything that's happening. The economy was their number one issue followed by the border, followed by the money that we're spending overseas. So these are issues that resonate with everyday Americans. What Donald Trump risks is that 
women are so turned off and this is exactly what they're going to play to. I mean, you got a lot of women that watch the view and the view just hits home on this every single day. So they're playing to fear. He's a bad guy. He's mean this, that, and the other. And so that's where there is weakness. All right. I'm just being a realist here guys. And, and that's all I can be at this moment. So let's just remember that. And so we've talked about, well, what is the answer then? Do you put in a woman to help sort of soften him, diffuse things? Remember Mike Pence, Mike Pence didn't make it or break it for him, but Mike Pence gave him some credibility with the evangelical community back in 2016. Mike Pence was like perfect right out of central casting at the time. I couldn't have picked a better person because I was like, okay, somebody who kind of will just be supportive, not be argumentative, not steal all his thunder, looks good, isn't taller than him. I mean, (laughs) we're being candid, are we not? We'll be totally candid. So, you know, just don't take me out of context. But I I thought, you know, this will work. So who works now? On the women's side, it's just tough. Because when you look at the polling data, a lot of women struggle with other women. Like, I couldn't believe this in New Hampshire. Well, I can kind of Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's like her own breed. But it really amazed me that the people she did the worst with were women. I mean, how does that make sense? The woman candidate is failing to attract female support. More women went with Trump. So remember that. I mean, Hillary Clinton... She was a really special woman, right? Like, I actually think that Nikki Haley is a better politician than Hillary Clinton is. Hillary Clinton really was polarizing and women really didn't like her. So a lot of women went out and they voted not necessarily for Donald Trump, but against Hillary Clinton. So remember this as we look at the cast of characters. Don's talking about Christy Nome. Christy Noem is a phenomenal woman and politician. She's stunningly beautiful. Does that play with other women? All right, we're being completely honest here. Um, Sarah Sanders, I think, is phenomenal. And I actually, like, my money would be on her, except that things are starting to shift, and that's what I'm going to tell you. Um, She's just phenomenal. And she's kind of America's sweetheart. There will be those that say, oh, you know, she's too conservative. That's what they're going to say on everyone, right? Like, if Nikki Haley gets to the top of the ticket or suddenly was named VP, which she won't be, but none of those scenarios would be applicable. But if she were, then guess what? Suddenly they'd say Nikki Haley was this, that, and the other. I mean, they're just going to go for the jugular. So you have to anticipate that. So again, let's just drill back on if you wanted to get women in the middle, who would resonate? Can't be too threatening. Therefore, not too much lip gloss, not too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) Leslie, you know what I'm saying. We've talked about this in the chats before. So I'm thinking maybe we just need to expand the field. Maybe we shouldn't be so women-centric. I mean, if, if women have a hard time with other women, then maybe the answer is how do you bring in more women? Maybe you don't need another woman on the ticket. Maybe you need someone who's got a fantastic story, who's overcome a lot in terms of their own personal experience in their own life, and is credible that women will like, not feel directly threatened by, 
So maybe that means you need a man. I'm just saying. I'm just, look, I don't think that way, but I'm, I'm a realist here. And so I, I want to see this forward. How does he get to the finish line? So if we leave the woman aside for just a moment, and there's some phenomenal women out there, don't get me wrong. I just don't know is that's going to win it and win the day for him. What if you said, all right, let's go and look at some of the minority and Hispanic population. They actually like Donald Trump. I mean, Biden's down 20 points with the black community. And Donald Trump's like really knocking it out of the park in ways that Democrats are like, wait a second, this is our territory. These, these, these are our, our people. This is our base. Why is Donald Trump doing well? Well, because, you know, he's talking like a real person about things that actually do matter to people, like having edu- good education for your kids and not so many onerous taxes and being able to put food on the table and all of these things. I mean, this isn't rocket science, people. It's not. I mean, the Democrats overthink this stuff. And so if you think about that, do you want somebody then who can bring in Hispanics, black Americans, and hopefully like you're going to bring in more women with whoever you go with, with this particular person. That's the idea. So David David saying Tim Scott, Leslie, I know you agree with me on that. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, interesting idea. One, one idea I just want to float out there and I don't want to embarrass him or anything. And, but we we'll try and get him back on the show. Remember Byron Donald? Remember he, he was on the show. He was fantastic. You guys loved him. He got like some of the biggest numbers I've ever seen. And you know what? I loved him. I loved him because I'm like, oh my gosh, finally, somebody who knows what the Federal Reserve is, somebody who understands inflation, somebody who can speak intelligently about the economy. I was sort of shocked. I said to him, Byron, like, this doesn't happen very often in the political world. You're, you're a little bit of a unicorn here. You actually understand Fed policy, the stock market, et cetera. Let's see. Do we have a clip, Drew, of a Byron, the congressman from Florida, who could be going on to some very big things. Take a peek. I know that you are on the Financial Services Committee. Walk me through what's happening as we um, look towards finding some solution here on our, our debt and deficits, because as far as the eye can see, it's not looking good. Well, first with the Fed, you know, this this disc, this new discount window that they that they use to help bank balance sheets um, by what I've been able to grasp and understand is that banks have been going out and borrowing this money from the Fed. Well, the Fed just doesn't get that money from anywhere. They got to try to find a way to create it in order to lend it to the banks. And I think that's that's what Art Laffer is talking about there with this new liquidity that's now coming into the system. That's number one. Number two, um, Washington has actually made matters worse with the massive overspending in response to COVID-19. And I know at the time people were concerned about our economy, the CARES Act, et cetera. Uh, but the stuff that Joe Biden did, the American Rescue Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act, or like I like to call it, the Green New Deal's little brother, because that's really what the bill is. <laughs> um, you know, all those spending items that they did and they put together, all that did was inject massive amounts of fiscal stimulus into an economy that didn't need it. Um, our economy in 2021 was already ready to get back on it because states were beginning to reopen. People were going back to work. People had money in their bank accounts because of COVID stimulus uh, through the CARES Act. And there was pent up demand for people just to travel, live life again. All these things were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then we dumped in another two and a half trillion dollars of federal spending. 
I'm like, he gets it. I mean, it's so refreshing for me to actually talk to somebody who understands this stuff because typically most people in Congress, they don't even know the difference between the Fed chief and the Treasury secretary. I mean, so Byron actually has a background in this. He's got a tremendous story. He like, grew up in the Bronx, dirt poor, in the projects, really kind of, he said he had a really wonderful mom who was not going to put up with anything. And she really encouraged him. And he, at one point in high school, was sort of like, you know what? I need a way out. I need a way out of this poverty. And he decided to start learning about the stock market. So he went on to become an asset manager. And now he's a congressman. He's young. He's from Florida, which might be a little bit of a wrinkle. Guys, we're going to investigate this. But I was uh, with some, some people in the know, and, and we were starting to talk about him a little bit yesterday afternoon and, and early last night, because I, I'm making the point that I, I think that you can't try to outthink this stuff. You know, okay, we want to bring in women. So we're going to go like pluck a woman out. Like maybe, maybe that's not the most direct path. Maybe you bring more women in by putting someone in who has competency in the financial space because what well, what happened in that New York Times poll that I just quoted you? That little focus group that they did with 13 independents, 12 of them said the economy was the biggest issue. 12 of them said they're going to vote for Trump because of the economy. Well, I think if you keep drilling down on the economy and you get a vice president that actually understands it, you might have a winning ticket. Dun, dun, dun. What do you guys think? I'm seeing your commentary. You know, we get some time. Trump said he's not going to make the decision like tomorrow. There's other people still in play. We've talked about Ben Carson. We've talked about Tim Scott as well. I say, is it David? David, you're talking about Tim Scott. We shall see. I'm just going to give a little plug for Byron because I, I know that he understands economics and I would like to have people in the White House that actually know how to add and subtract, and maybe even multiply and divide. What do you know? All right, great to have you here, everyone. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We're going to have more on this whole emerging story that Matt Taibbi is all over. There's some wild accusations. Maybe the CIA targeted some 25 people on the Trump campaign back in 2016, according to his explosive reporting. I'm just blown away by this. These are some serious allegations, again, coming to us by the guy who blew open a lot of what was going on at Twitter, don't forget, and had a long career actually at Rolling Stone as a political journalist. But uh, very interesting stuff coming from Matt Taibbi. I'm going to be all over it for you in tomorrow's show. We will talk then.